0: Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. We tackle the invasion of Ukraine from a number of angles, from support in Hamilton to Russia's stepped-up aggression and how other countries are reacting. I speak to a Hamilton nurse who's planning to take 333 polar plunges to raise money for St. Joe's Hospital Foundation. Many women struggle with infertility, including a familiar voice on CHML. And Season 10 of Big Brother Canada premieres Wednesday night on Global. The GMH podcast starts now
1: this is the good morning hamilton podcast on 900 chml
0: hundreds of people have been gathering in front of hamilton city hall to rally in support of ukraine including at a rally that was held over the weekends mary halidic is the vice president of the ukrainian canadian congress hamilton branch and joins us now on good morning hamilton good morning mary
2: good morning
0: how are you uh, not too bad how are you doing Good, good. You held a rally over the weekend. Other rallies have been held over the last number of days, not only at Hamilton City Hall, but really in cities around the world. What's been going through your mind over the last little while?
2: Well, um, the community is uh, quite upset, of course, um, and um, just trying to do whatever we can to, uh, uh, to support uh, Ukraine and to show that we here in Canada care about them. Um, the rally that we held at City Hall on Sunday was very successful. That was our third one. Um, it's gotten bigger every time. Um, and um, Mayor Eisenberger was there, and uh, he spoke. Um, and uh, uh, many members of the the Hamilton community, uh, other than Ukrainians, uh, were there. Latvians, Estonians, Lithuanians, Romanians, um, Dutch... Um, the whole community in and hamilton has been just terrific and um very very supportive um and as a matter of fact um in the near future possibly even this weekend i'm not quite sure marianne uh mayor marianne mead ward from uh, burlington um in in conjunction with the ukrainian canadian congress hamilton branch um will be uh is is planning um uh, a rally as well in Burlington so that's upcoming but not finalized uh, the plans aren't uh, completely finalized.
0: It must be tremendously heartwarming to see really all walks of life all nationalities coming together uh, in support of one great cause.
2: Oh really really and um, you know everyone is asking where to donate um, uh, for humanitarian aid and and uh, you know um, uh, to donate um uh clothing and and canned goods and food and baby formula and all that and i can give you some information on that if you'd like
0: sure i know that the uh, the red cross the canadian red cross redcross.ca right. is offering people to make donations the uh, canada right. ukraine foundation cufoundation.ca is another avenue yes amnesty international are, are there more
2: yes uh actually um right here in hamilton uh MIST and uh, MIST is a, a export import uh, a company that uh, deals directly with Ukraine and the BCU Foundation, uh, which is uh, a, a branch of the Buduchny's credit Union <clears throat> they have joined uh, partnered to uh, send parcels to uh, Ukraine and and they're guaranteeing that this that it'll go directly to where uh, it is needed most and Holy Spirit Church on uh, St. Olga and Barton Street is collecting, um, you know, um, like sleeping bags, uh, clothing, canned food, diapers, uh, baby clothes, items of that that nature uh, from 1 to 8 p.m. today and maybe even the rest of the week, I'm I'm not quite sure, but if you wanted to to do that or if you would like to donate uh, funds uh, to um, friends of um, friends of Ukraine defense uh, forces, you can do so at www.bcufoundation.ca or, or .com. Sorry,
0: um, uh, Mary. Do yeah. you have do you have family and friends in Ukraine? And if so, how are they doing?
2: Yes, I, I do. I I have family in uh, Lviv, um, and the Chernobyl area. They are so far okay, but um, I know for sure that uh, um, food is probably um, difficult for them to, to get, possibly even uh, other, um, you know, commodities that they may need. Uh, but so far, they're, they're, they're okay there, but they're scared, they're hiding in their basement um one of my um uh, my my first cousin they live in in a um off uh, in this in the village on a farm so you can imagine you know <laughs> uh, they they have nowhere nowhere to hide in the open so it's it's pretty frustrating and um i I don't believe my family is is planning to leave but many have um and then now they're they are um also now um finding difficulty at the border because a lot of them want to immigrate uh, somewhere else. Um, They're not classified as refugees because a a refugee is persecuted by their country. They're, They're not persecuted by their country. They're running away from a war. So the immigration process for those who want to immigrate, say to Canada, is quite difficult. So there are all kinds of problems and people are, Just just devastated. I I have no other words.
0: Mary Holodik is our guest, uh, Vice President, Ukrainian-Canadian Congress, Hamilton Branch. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We've seen some devastating uh, news coverage, uh, lots of images and videos on social media. Uh, When you're watching, when you're consuming all all these uh, photos and and videos, what's going through your mind? It's got to be incredibly sad.
2: Well, it is incredibly sad because uh, it's an unprovoked uh, war. Um, The Ukrainian people, you know, it's just, uh, you know, they've just started to revive to become uh, a country where people own businesses, where people go to, uh, you know, uh, good jobs, and um, you know, uh, where where they're raising their families, going to school, where the opportunities are are endless just like here you you know anything your heart desires you you can do and they've just come to that and now you know this is happening and um they they're they're begging for help like you can see president Zelensky very bravely you know he's basically begging for for help um and uh, unfortunately it's military help because uh Um, the aggressor is is a war machine and there's no uh, there are no other words for that It's just it's a war machine Mm -hmm. and they're they're coming after them and um you know if they succeed you can imagine the scenario that you know for the last uh, few months they've been amassing uh on the ukrainian border well if they succeed where else are they going to amass they're going to amass uh you know on the polish border on the hungarian border the romanian border and wave the nuclear card you know uh So, really, you know, it's got yeah. It
0: certainly has to stop, and hopefully, that will. uh, Who knows when it will stop? But hopefully, you know, more more military aid and more fight from the Ukrainians will uh, will certainly do that. Mary, we're out of time. I really appreciate your time this morning. thank Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. Mary Halotic
0: is the Vice President, Ukrainian-Canadian Congress Hamilton branch. You can donate to the cause in several ways. As Mary mentioned, bcufoundation.com is one website you can go to. You can visit the Canadian Red Cross, redcross.ca, cufoundation.ca. That's the letter C, letter U, foundation.ca. And you can Google Amnesty International and donate to the Ukrainian relief effort.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
3: At the end of the day, if we are truly determined to stand with Ukraine, if the stakes in this fight are as high as I believe them to be, we have to be honest with ourselves. I have to be honest with Canadians that there could be some collateral damage in Canada.
0: That is Deputy Prime Minister, Finance Minister Christopher Freeland speaking to us about the invasion of Ukraine by Russia and what we've learned over the last uh, 24 hours, especially Russian forces increasing or stepping up their attacks on several Ukrainian cities. Uh, That's the focus of our next segment here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Danny Bellow is an assistant professor of international relations at Webster University in St. Louis and fellow at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University in Ottawa. Danny joins us now. Danny, good morning. Morning. Uh, Your sense of what is uh, happening over the last uh, 24, 48 hours in Ukraine, it it seems like Russia is intensifying its uh, invasion of that country.
4: That's right. What we're seeing is a significant escalation of violence on a number of Ukrainian cities. And uh, the purpose of that, uh, from Russia's perspective, is what they call escalate to de-escalate, meaning trying to wear out Ukraine into uh, surrender.
0: Is this an inevitability?
4: Well, um, the only option uh, going forward in order to de-escalate the violence is certainly d- a diplomatic one, uh, because any alternative options, such as directly engaging with Russia, could result in catastrophic consequences. So diplomacy is the way forward. Uh,
0: there was a, a meeting between uh, Ukrainian and Russian officials uh, just the other day, and not much came from it. Um, if there is a ceasefire, and I think that might be the first kind of uh, uh, you know, implementation of a de-escalation plan... Will Ukraine have to make any kind of concessions? And if so, what could they be? Well,
4: uh, we saw the uh, Russian delegation headed by uh, Medinsky. And um, on the other side, we saw a, a delegation headed by um, Ukraine's defense minister. And as you noted, nothing came out of it. But it it is quite usual that the first round of um, negotiations isn't fully successful. Um, in terms of what the bargaining will be going forward, it is likely that um, Ukraine will have to uh, make some concessions on its relationship with NATO and uh, Russia would offer a de-escalation and possibly um a um, a permission of a sort for Ukraine to join the European Union
0: that uh, initial meeting came what five six seven days after the initial incursion into Ukraine was that surprising to you would would you have expected uh, that initial meeting to happen further down the road
4: well it's uh, it's possible. But I think uh, what was happening is Russia was expecting to make uh, much more significant uh, military gains. And once that proved to be um, not the case, um, I think Russia uh, began negotiating much more wholeheartedly.
0: What is Russia looking for in these negotiations?
4: In these negotiations, Russia is looking for uh, Ukraine to remain outside of NATO. And it's uh, also uh, the demilitarization of Ukraine Um, And what is interesting is Russia's uh, points uh, regarding what it wants to achieve in Ukraine actually haven't changed, so it's been quite consistent throughout.
0: We're chatting with Danny Bellow, assistant professor of international relations at Webster University in St. Louis, fellow at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carlton University in Ottawa, on the latest on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, support from around the world has been absolutely phenomenal, whether it's been military support, humanitarian support, financial support for uh, Ukraine and its people. Has that changed or or has that, um, um, uh, Yeah, I guess, has that changed the conversation between the two countries?
4: Well, certainly um, from Ukraine's perspective, when it goes into negotiations with Russia, having the uh, backing, political backing, economic backing, the supply of uh, weapons to continue uh, to put up resistance to Russia has um, made Ukraine uh, stronger in negotiations with Russia. So that will certainly have an impact once the two delegations meet again.
0: How do you see this playing out? What's the end game here?
4: What we'll expect to see is uh, several rounds of negotiations, because this is usually how it happens. Um, Progress is made with uh, both parties coming to the table with new offers, and that usually happens over many rounds of negotiations.
0: Well, we shall see. Danny, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us and sharing your insight. Thank you for having me. Danny Bellow, assistant professor of international relations at Webster University and a fellow at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs. There have been some amazing stories coming out of Ukraine, including this one, where a former goalie for Winnipeg's Valor FC soccer team has hung up his cleats to fight in Ukraine. The 22-year-old enlisted the day after he signed his first European contract in his home country. Globals Michelle Karlsleg has more. Svetic
5: Artemenko's demeanor is calm, cool, and collected, despite being dressed in his military uniform, calling me from Odessa, Ukraine, where he's fighting the war against Russia. He had just signed his first European football contract when the war started. I saw the news
6: and uh, I, I saw everything going on outside. It was um,
4: that kind of went down
6: the
5: the drain quickly. The 22-year-old immigrated to Winnipeg with his parents when he was a toddler. He said he always wanted to be in the military, but life led him to football. He calmly tells me safety is the last thing on his mind, dismissing his bravery to fight for his country. I, I
6: don't see it as something heroic. I just see it as a, as a normal thing to do because it's my country. It's
5: where my family is. So it, it's just a normal thing to do. Artemenko says apart from a few bomb strikes, the city of Odessa is quiet, but acknowledges at any point that could
0: change. Michelle Carlense, Global News pretty amazing story.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: What we
3: are seeing here from Vladimir Putin is an attempt to have his cake and eat it too. He wants to behave like a communist dictator, but he and his entourage had thought they could do that and continue to enjoy all of the fruits of global capitalism
0: that is the voice of deputy prime minister and finance minister christopher freeland uh, chatting to us about um the conflict in ukraine russia's invasion of that country now intensifying Um, which leads me to how other countries are reacting to the latest developments. We know that it's not just Canada that is sending aid militarily and financially to Ukraine. Uh, Many countries in the EU, uh, those involved with NATO, including the United States, all helping the cause. What's happening in places like China and Japan? Michelle Yehi-Lee is a Washington Post Tokyo bureau chief and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Michelle. How are you?
7: Good morning thanks for having me
0: i guess in your case it would be good evening but nonetheless thanks for joining us today from your vantage point before we get into uh, you know japan's reaction to what's going on we'll talk a little bit about china oh. um how how have you consumed the news in ukraine what has surprised you what has concerned you just your reaction to the latest developments in that country
7: well what's concerned me is really how quickly uh things are developing on this Uh, on the ground, of course, in Russia, it seems like troops are moving fairly quickly and uh, the tensions are escalating very fast. Our correspondents there are really uh, in Kyiv are really just stuck in a bunker because it's so unsafe for them to be roaming out and about. And it is quite concerning to see how quickly um, those movements are happening. Uh, Another thing that's surprising is how quickly the rest of the world is reacting, including Japan, uh, with sanctions with really rallying together and just how much the world has banded together around this response to Russia, I think has been quite overwhelming and interesting to see.
0: One of your latest articles titled In Japan and Across Asia, an outpouring of support for Ukraine. What's the support been like in Japan?
7: Oh, it's been absolutely just a complete outpour. Uh, there have been protests all throughout the country in Tokyo, Kyoto, Nagoya, hiroshima uh, everyone just coming out in protest and people are also donating too um, japanese people donated more than 17 million dollars in just four days and that number is quickly growing to support ukrainians uh, people here in japan really feel a sense of solidarity for ukrainians even if you know they might not know much about the country um, they understand what it's like to be living next to a massive country that is constantly trying to um, encroach on territory i.e china when it comes to japan so they very much see a, a connection here to ukraine
0: how has japan's government responded to the conflict
7: Japan's government has been very forceful. And it's actually a surprise because in 2014, when Russia annexed Crimea, Japan took a very muted response because they wanted to keep good relationships with Russia. But this time, they're all in. They have been issuing sanctions left and right, right in lockstep with Western countries. They want to show that in Asia, Japan is the leading voice that's standing up. For the rule of law that is very against um, this effort to change the status quo with force. And Japan is very much a loud advocate on this. And Japan's not a very sanctions-heavy country to begin with. So the fact that Japan is right there alongside uh European partners, America in in levying all these economic measures to pressure Russia, that's a really big deal for Japan in this response.
0: Uh, Japan, uh, you know, as, as many people know, is in an interesting part of the world geographically with North Korea uh, very close, China very close. Obviously, those governments and those regimes uh, extremely heavy handed. Has Japan's response been a little measured knowing who their neighbors are?
7: It's actually been the opposite effect this time. Hmm. Um, Of course, there are sensitivities. Uh, They want to bolster their defense budget very much because of all those threats around Japan. But in this particular sense, uh, what I hear from Japanese diplomats, Japanese politicians and policymakers is that they really want to show that they are against use of force that they uphold the rule of law and anyone who's a bully against another country by using force and encroaching on territory, they will not stand up for it. So even though they have the same concerns uh, around this whole region, they're worried about China, they're worried about threats from North Korea, um, all those escalating tensions. In this particular case, Japan feels very strongly about speaking with one voice with the West, even if it means that that they might be showing aggression toward China or might not have the best relationship with Russia after this.
0: We have one more minute with Michelle Yehi-Lee, the Tokyo bureau chief with The Washington Post here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. As we know, there has been much uh, uh, consternation, I think is is the appropriate word, in this conflict when it relates to China and its um, eyesight on Taiwan. Has there been much talk in Japan and in that area about that?
7: Oh, absolutely. A recent poll by a major news outlet here um, a couple days ago found that 77 percent of Japanese people are worried about the spillover from the Russia conflict into China and Taiwan. It's very much on the mind of the public. People are worried that what happens in Russia might spill over to China and Taiwan. They might see Taiwan getting attacked by China. And that's why Japanese people right now overwhelmingly favor these sanctions and want to see a strong response because they're very worried about their own neighborhood.
0: Rightfully so. Michelle, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Michelle Yehi-Lee is the Tokyo Bureau Chief at the Washington Post giving us uh, her insight into the battle in Ukraine and uh, the response from uh, countries like Japan and China.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A
0: Hamilton resident and a longtime ICU nurse is pledging to take 333 plunges into the icy waters of Lake Ontario. Yes, 333 polar plunges to raise money for the St. Joseph Hospital Foundation's Three Wishes Project. Her name is Yulia Shevchenko, and she joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Good morning, Yulia. How are you today? Good morning. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. Have you taken a polar plunge today yet? Well, I like sunrises, but
3: um, because of the interview, I'm just going to go straight after we talk. With you.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> why, why do this? Why? why uh, obviously, giving to the Three Wishes Project is a great cause, but why do it in this way?
3: So, last year, uh, it was a very hard time for uh, intensive care units, not only mine, across the country. And uh, we, ner- we as nurses were carrying a um, very heavy load so it was i was suffering um in the, in the so many ways uh, w- with uh, my emotions with my mental health uh, it was hard I, I felt like i was going to war so i found something that helped me so my friends introduced me to ice swimming and it helped me uh, in so many ways um i'm i'm happier i sleep better I I learned how to you know be more, be more disciplined and manage my own emotions uh, much better. Wow. I I'm given back to my um hospital to my patients and to my nursing um, partners, by doing this, by collecting money to Three Wishes.
0: That's amazing. The Saint Joe's Hospital Foundation's Three Wishes project is uh, it, it supports palliative care in the ICU and it brings peace to patients in their final moments. How has end-of-life care changed during the pandemic?
3: During pandemic, uh, the um, uh, usually the the death that I remembered people surrounded by family, friends, uh, it's changed because we were behind glass doors. As nurses, we have had to hold the patient's hand. There was no visiting. Um, uh, Families could look at the patient uh, through the glass door and uh, say goodbyes on the baby monitor. That had very, very profound effect on us as nurses because it's hard. But Three Wishes helped uh, us uh, um, at that time. We were able to purchase iPads, and we were doing Zoom meetings with patients and families.
0: Uh, I understand that you are chronicling your polar bear dips on Instagram. Tell us about that.
3: Yeah, I decided to just document so um, people who uh, donate money, they know I'm doing this. So my Instagram account is Mom. Um, and uh, every day, I, I, when I polar dip, I make little video, videos, make it in a fun way, and just post my
0: success. Now, you've, com- I- you've completed more than 50 polar bear dips already this year. That's like almost once a day. I try to go once
3: a day. Sometimes I, I would come, and the lake is not great for swimming, might be not safe, because it's huge ice piles uh, floating. It's not safe to swim. So in, in this case, I would go home and do two uh, cold buckets, uh, like 10 gallons of water. Uh, or sometimes I double up and go in the evening. So that that gives me a, a lot of energy, by the way.
0: Yulia Shevchenko is our guest. She's an ICU nurse and a Hamilton resident who is going to be taking 333 polar plunges this year for the St. Joe's Hospital Foundation's Three Wishes Project to contribute to the cause. You can go online, threewishesproject.com. That's the number three, three threewishesproject.com. How long do you stay in the water for?
3: So at this temperature, it's about zero degrees right now in the water. So I stay any time from uh, two to seven minutes.
0: Wow. So does your body tell you when you've had enough?
3: Uh, When I'm by myself, it's kind of scary to stay longer. But when I'm with friends, we can chat, laugh, and uh, I probably can do up to 10 minutes, I'm thinking. Yeah, it's it's cold, but it's also your mental power to do that.
0: What's the coldest temperature you've ever gone out uh, in?
3: Uh, Well, water never below zero, right? Otherwise, it would freeze. But uh, outside was minus twenty. Sometime mid um, January was minus twenty outside. So that, that, that was it.
0: Wow! Uh, how do you prepare for these polar dips, and is it more mental preparation than anything?
3: Um, we, we do some uh, a little bit of stretching, warming up, and uh, when I started, I didn't start lightly. I wouldn't recommend uh, you folks go and start doing it right away at these temperatures start slow, maybe some cold showers for a little bit, maybe cold buckets. That's what I did. I did cold buckets for a couple of weeks and then I plunged in.
0: Yeah, I can take maybe a cool shower and that's about it. I'm not sure I can survive a polar bear dip. Uh, Yulia, really thank you for the time today. Uh, best of luck with these polar plunges and thanks for raising uh, money for this great cause.
3: I really appreciate all the donations and contributions. Uh, we, as critical care nurses, we would use them wisely. I, 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 promise you.
0: Great stuff, Yulia. Thank you. You take care. You too, Yulia Shevchenko, ICU nurse, Hamilton resident. More than 300 polar plunges to raise money for the St. Joe's Hospital Foundation's Three Wishes Project. You can donate now to Three. The number three, Three Wishes Project. Dot
1: you're listening to the good morning hamilton podcast from 900 chml
0: well, many women struggle with infertility this is nothing new um we are now hearing uh, from a familiar voice that you hear on 900 chml diana weeks is a news anchor with chml and has shared her experience with infertility with the magazine today's parent you can find out about it at todaysparent.com and diana joins us now on good morning hamilton good morning diana
5: Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me.
0: You have had an exceptionally grueling journey trying to get pregnant. Tell us about it.
5: Well, it all started um, just actually when the first, you know, um, lockdown happened. So back in March 2020, uh, that's when things really ramped up. We started going to, you know, a fertility clinic because we had been trying for about six months by that point um we went and um basically you know they did the initial tests and they said you know it's not going to be easy but we don't think that you're going to need you know in vitro fertilization IVF and um what ended up happening is that we did um and we did our most you know our first round of IVF you know this past uh summer and then you know we ended it in the in the near Christmas time and uh, that didn't work so It's been a long two years and we're still here. We don't know exactly where we're going to go now, but um, it has been very difficult.
0: All along in this process, you were sharing your journey on social media. Why why was that important to get that out there?
5: Right. So um, there's quite a big community of, um, you know, those trying to uh, conceive, uh, mainly on Instagram, which I found, and they're a very supportive community. And I found that I was, you know, leaning on a lot of those women for support during this time um, because, you know, we're all going through the same thing. And so I decided, you know, what it's—it's it's just easier if I share my journey, you know, with the world rather than keeping it to myself and then having to dodge questions about what's going on. And you know, having the—the the question, "Are you guys having kids?" It's just like it's out there; people know. And it was kind of cathartic for me for a while. Um, But then it kind of got to the point where I was I didn't want to really share anymore because it became too painful and I I just had to take a step back. So that's where I am right now in terms of the social media sharing. But the article obviously was different. I had to I had to get that story out. Yeah.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is CHML News anchor Diana Weeks, who is sharing her experience with uh, infertility. Um, You've written, as you mentioned, this article in Today's Parent. You can uh, read it online at todaysparent.com, writing about the process Um, that focuses on the challenge during the pandemic, because there was an extra challenge where it wasn't normal. You couldn't be with your husband all the time and the nurse was masked and it was just very different.
5: Yeah, that's right. So it wasn't until I started to look at other people's uh, fertility journeys, infertility journeys in that community, where I realized like we have this other layer of, you know, essentially loneliness on top of this, because I didn't realize that you know your husband could come with you uh, to these appointments before covid and, and and be with you and and it'll be there for the procedures which sucked already but would have been nice if you know I had someone with me during it um and then also you know there's nowhere to really escape to because you know, you're surrounded by your four walls constantly in your house when you're in lockdown or isolation. So, you know, if I got bad news about my infertility, it wasn't like I could just go to my best friend's house and have a girl's night. And, and that was something I really missed. Or, or you know, me, me and my husband, we couldn't even leave to go on like, you know, a little getaway together just to kind of, you know, forget that there is a life outside outside of this, which is exactly what I said really in my article.
0: I'm sure there's many lis- uh, many women listening to this right now going through the same thing. What's your message to them?
5: um, My message to them, it's kind of changed over the last two years. My message now is that I think I've come full circle where I'm starting to realize that, you know, will we still try and and keep fighting the fight? Yeah, probably we will. But I I think I'm different now in the sense that I'm, you know, starting to realize with all the things going on in the world, we, we actually do have a lot to be grateful for. And I'm not trying to diminish my journey or anyone's journey. But I think we acceptance is a big thing that realizing that there's one path and that's, a, you know, having a baby and that's a great path. But then there's another a path where we might that might not be in our fate. And I think no, no path is better than the other. It's just going to be different. Um, and I think that's something that I really had to take a long time to come to terms with.
0: Well, the least of which you can probably take comfort in uh, the, the support that you have here at work. And I'm sure all our listeners are behind you as well. Thanks for joining us today and best of luck going forward.
5: Thank you so much, Rick.
0: Estina Weeks, news anchor at 900 CHML, sharing her ups and downs with infertility. You can get more information on her story at todaysparent.com. It's a pretty cool article.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Now, I am not ashamed to admit I am a Big Brother fan. I wasn't wasn't in years gone by, but uh, my daughter got me into it. And she's gotten me into a number of shows that I wouldn't normally watch, like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. And I'm more ashamed to admit I watch those shows because they are just, uh, it's so bad, but at times it is so good. Because she and I, and I'm sure anyone who watches these shows, we just love the drama, the chaos, the back and forth, the backstabbing, the alliances, the everything under the sun. It's really a microcosm of society packaged into a one-hour episode. But tonight is a big night for Big Brother Canada because tonight is the debut. It's the premiere of BB Can 10. Yeah, the 10th season debuting tonight on Global at 8 p.m. Arissa Cox is the host and executive producer of Big Brother Canada and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Arissa
6: good morning so happy to be here thanks for having me
0: what are you most excited about for bb can 10.
6: okay well i know they say you know expect the unexpected that's a very big brother thing to say but for me that is what i look forward to the most the surprises that's one thing about a show that has real canadians uh going through it together uh in front of all of us there are so many surprising moments that happen in a season and you could never see them coming from the beginning. So I think that's what I'm excited. I'm excited that everyone is going to strap in and go on this incredible roller coaster ride together. And, uh, that's a great feeling. And of course being here for, for 10 years, I mean, what a thrill. We're so grateful as a team.
0: Yeah, where's the time gone? That's for sure. Uh, Contestants in the Big Brother Canada house have said that this competition is so challenging. What makes a good Big Brother house guest?
6: Wow. I think a lot of it is adaptability. Being able to maneuver socially, which, you know, people talk about their social game. Really, that's just another way of saying, like, Are you somebody that people want to hang around and be around? And are the vibes good when people are near you? Sometimes it's as simple as that. Um, When people can't explain why they would protect one friend over another in the house, some of that is just because one person is somebody they like better. So that's like your basic um, big brother skills is adaptability and having uh, social awareness. And the other thing, of course, is more layers. If you're really good strategically, if you're really good at physical competitions, um, if you are really uh, comfortable with living with 15 other big personalities, most people are, would, like, would not be cool with that. But a really good Big Brother player accepts all challenges and rises to them. So that's what I'm excited by. You may have your favorites going into the season, but you really have to see them in there to determine who is going to thrive and not just live there.
0: Uh, We've seen uh, comp beasts or competition beasts in in years gone by. Uh, Those who have, as you mentioned, an amazing social game or those who just, uh, you know, fall into or make the right alliances. Does does one of those factors trump the others?
6: I think with our best players uh, that we've seen over the past 10 years, and there have been some iconic ones, uh, make no mistake. I think those ones you could put into any season with any group. And they would do really, really well. Uh, people who are really, really well-rounded players, like a Dane from Season 7 or like a Tashan from Season 9 or a Sarah Hanlon from Season 3, they would thrive no matter where because they have such a good understanding of of humans, of people, of what their desires are. And then there are people who, you know, luck may play a much bigger part in their game, but luck is a huge part of Big Brother too. Right. You could be amazing at, you know, one kind of challenge and then never draw your chip. And so you don't get to play that challenge that you'd be really good at. You know, a twist could fall not in your favor. Things like that happen all the time. Um, But I think, yeah, some of the, the most excellent players would do well. Anywhere, anytime. And that's incredible to watch.
0: We got one more minute with Arissa Cox, host and executive producer of Big Brother Canada. BB Can 10 debuts tonight at eight, uh, 8 o'clock on Global. Regarding the BB Can house, I know you can't say too much, but what will the 16 house guests and TV viewers see?
6: Well, our theme this year is game shows, right? So we're going to be throwing it back to really retro game shows that you know people my age might remember watching when you were sick at home, <laughs> you know? Um, and then the really modern game shows that we're used to seeing right now. So the house is purpose-built more than ever before to really support that theme of game shows, but also to be part of the the twists and the tasks and the challenges coming. So if you've seen any of the pictures of the house, you'll notice there are mystery doors everywhere. Like how fun is that? Um, Knowing that all throughout the season, they're going to be exploring what could be behind those doors. So that's really, really exciting. Yeah. I mean, if you want to find out more, ET Canada is running this amazing special on the premiere and that starts at 7.30 PM on global. So it really feels like it's a 90 minute, like premiere event. And so I'm, I'm on cloud nine.
0: Awesome. Can't wait to see it. Arissa. thanks for the time today and best of luck with BB Can 10. Thanks so much. Take care, guys. Arissa Cox, host and executive producer of Big Brother Canada.
1: Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com.
0: The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure Make sure you rate and review.